Very yeah. cool. Which leads us back into more getting more current. Because I, I thought something funny when you said a while ago that I hated the AR I did. Know, platform. I love when I you said dis- that. I was disgusted. <laughs> but but I'm in your comment room and I'm looking at AR platforms everywhere. <laughs> you know what? And then the whole, because always, I've always had an artistic and aesthetic bend, you know? Right. And so for Hey, this is Brian with Hunter's HD Gold. This episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens is brought to you by Kana Gold. Kana Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. Grab your Kana Gold from the Hunter's HD Gold Magical Mystery Tour or from KanaGoldHemp.com. When ordering, use Hunter's HD for another 20% off. I travel all over the United States sponsoring matches, meeting shooters, organizers, and match directors. I'm ready to start asking those tough questions everyone wants to know the answers to. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. Today, I am in Minneapolis and sitting in the conference room of JP Enterprises with Mr. John Paul himself, how you doing? Great. Good to be here. Man, thank you so much for taking time out today. I'm on the way to another match, and um, this was very um, important for me to be able to stop by here based on your history of supporting the shooting sports. And I'm just now getting into the shooting sports um, as of about four years ago, but you have a long history of that, which we'll get to in a second. But I like to always start off when I have um, just conversations with um, individuals what got you started in the shooting to begin with? My father. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, he had a he had an old Crossman CO two pistol, and after dinner he'd bring me down to the basement and we'd be uh, shooting this thing. Uh, you know, on targets he'd tape up against the concrete block wall there, and I just got the kick out of biggest kick out of these pellets squashing themselves against that concrete. Mm-hmm. And he could tell that I had kind of a uh, an addiction to the to the whole thing. So then he got me involved in the uh, St. Paul Junior Rifle Club. There was a, actually a public range in the basement of the Coma Pavilion. How old were you then? Which, uh, and, uh, I was probably about uh, eight or nine, I suppose. Okay. So, uh, yeah, shot on this uh, this Junior Rifle Club for uh, some years there and then uh, happened to go to an ROTC high school. And, uh, and that's how I really got into serious competitive shooting because I already – had kind of a background in, in this sort of thing. Right. And, uh, and of course, they had a rifle team, and I was able to get on that in my freshman year and then shot all through high school and, and college on uh, ROTC teams. And, and then when I got out, I, uh, uh, you know, still had a, had an interest in it. And when I got out of college, I realized I uh, was unemployable, so I started looking at other avenues and ended up buying a retail gun shop. <laughs> <laughs> so, Real, at what age did that happen? Well, that was uh, seventy-eight, I think, is when I got into that. I, you know, uh, I experimented with a few things. Like I said, I realized I wasn't cut out to work in the corporate world, so to I speak. Understand that? I understand that, <laughs> yes, sir. So, and I, and I mentioned before we started this, you know, that I, I did about eight years in a rock band, and so I started looking at, well, what can I do? And I looked at a recording studio, and mm-hmm. I looked out. I custom painted motorcycles for a while. I, I looked at that. And I said, well, I know something about guns. So I, you know, I sold my real estate and bought this, had a house and we flipped a couple houses actually. So I bought this retail gun store. So rocks, you're in a rock band during the early (laughs) seventies. What, um, what type of music would you compare that to that, you know, uh, in the seventies, what kind of music did you do back then? We were kind of an inner city funk band, uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Tower of Power, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we were that play that funky music, White Boy. Got that it. was us. <laughs> nice. The actual White Boy was doing it. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. No, we, it was. Uh, I tr- I'd like to remember the good side of it. You know. <laughs> no, I, I understand. We're, I'm sure we're lucky to have you with us today, based on some of those experiences. That's for sure. So <laughs> I realized, you know, after about eight years of it, it was no way to make a living. So right. <laughs> I decided to move on. That makes sense. So you had, a, you know, in that level of being in music, you were always about kind of the entertainment, entertainment part of that, right? Because you entertain people when oh, yeah. you're in music. Right. So, you know, you go and buy a 
gun store <laughs> with with the help of who? You know, I uh, borrowed money from my folks. Okay. Uh, I, I of course I had a a loan, a credit line loan I was carrying at the bank. You know, and then of course I had, uh, like I said, I I uh, had sold my home at the time and I put that money into it and I was renting for a while. Okay. So it was kind of interesting that, you know, and I remember after after about five years of it, <clears throat> it uh, was not going anywhere, and I really thought that. I should move on then, but I owed too much money. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so, <laughs> I understand. So was the gun store in this, in this area where we're at in, now? Uh, it was in North Minneapolis, actually. Okay. It was in kind of a rough area of North Minneapolis. <clears throat> and and gun laws were different back then. So when you were, when you were selling guns then, they were, were a lot cheaper uh, as far as what we consider, you know, to be guns. And, and I don't the Brady Act wasn't in effect yet. So you were selling lots of different firearms that today – you know, you really just can't sell over the counter back then, right? Oh, I know. I, I think it was actually pretty similar, really. Okay. Because uh, we were selling uh, non NFA, which, which you, know, you call them, any, mm-hmm. any non NFA weapons. But the interesting thing about it was that I really, uh, those certain guns I really just, I really hated, Glocks being one and AR 15s being another. Really? And, uh, you know, because I was kind of into the aesthetics of 1911s and these. Bolt action rifles with their beautiful wood stocks, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to have an AR on the rack, you know, a piece of plastic crap, you know. Finally, I was forced to take one in a trade. I've told this story many times, but okay, I uh, took one in a trade, and uh, and I said, "Well, I've got it." It was their old Colt Sporter A1 with the triangular Vietnam era forearm on it, you know. Yes, sir. And I said, well, I got to see what this thing can actually do. So I had some of my hand loads and took it out to the range, and just the way it was out of the box, the thing would. Uh, uh, was shooting about a minute and a half. And I thought, well, that's not all that bad. And uh, at the time, Olympic Arms came out with this. Yeah, they were the first ones that came out with this free-floating handguard. It was steel, you know. And, I mean, it weighed five pounds. You could kill somebody with, with one of these things. Right. So I ordered one of those up and put it on this rifle and with this stock barrel. And this barrel was a super light contour, if you remember those rifles of that era. It had okay. a half-inch contour underneath the handguard. And with that barrel in the uh, in that handguard, that rifle was, was shooting under a minute with my with my hand loads. And I thought, now this rifle actually has potential. And that's when I first opened my eyes up to the to the potential of that platform. And then I started thinking about its deficiencies and how those needed to be addressed. And here we are. Wow. So, <laughs> so having your own business as a gun store with all the responsibilities and all the bills because you weren't handed anything, which is great to hear. How did you have time to shoot? When did you make that time to shoot like that? Were you, were you, what did that well, look like? On the week, you know, I, luckily I had one employee. Okay. You know, uh, one and a half, okay, a part-timer. So I was able to get away from the place after a while, you know, a bit. And, and so I was still pretty heavily involved in competitive shooting on, on the weekends. So yeah. that's where I was going with that. What Where did you start off in competitive shooting? Well, you know, uh, bowling pins. Well, first off. Silhouette, you know, metallic silhouette, IHMSA, and then the NRA had their Hunter's Pistol format, and mm-hmm. and of course their their uh, rifle silhouette games, both center fire and rim fire, and I was heavily involved in in that for quite a while, and then uh, bowling pins came into the state. <laughs> we started to shoot bowling pins, and of course I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I kind of got into that. Okay, and uh, when it must have been. Well, it was. It's back way back in the early '80s. IPSC or USPSA form, you know, formed in the in the United States, right? And then that whole format of practical shooting started to creep into the into the states. Did you know some of the people that started it back then? Were you that involved in the shooting sports to know people that got that started? No, but I can say that Michael Bain, he's a, who's a good friend of mine. I, I, I listen right? to Michael all he, the time. He was yes. like he was he was at the uh, a table in some restaurant. He always tells me the story that he was at a table in some restaurant where the the and I can't forget the names of all the people involved in this, right. but they were all there. I mean, I'm sure it must have been Jeff Cooper was, of course, was. Yep. He? <laughs> I think it was done on a napkin or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they came up with the whole idea on a yeah. napkin, yep. and uh, you know, and then of course if you ratchet forward in time, the 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 fact that they bought uh, uh, Steel Challenger, it took over Steel Challenger, I think was a great addition because mm-hmm. uh, I got into that too when, when, that, when that came around. Wow. You know? So that's back when all the Steel Challenge matches were back in, you know, in one area in California. That's right. Right. So how did you find time to get away on long trips to go? I shoot? didn't. Oh. Uh, all, when I had this gun shop, I couldn't leave. And so okay. I, all my shooting was local. Okay. And I, I was a 
pretty skilled offhand rifle shooter, and I always wanted to go to the Nationals for the NRA, uh, you know, uh, silhouette rifle championships down at the Whittington Center, but I, I just never could do it. Right. But uh, <clears throat> when I got out of the store, which was 1990, and I walked away from that. And, uh, so 1990, so almost 15 th- years? About 13 years. 13 years? It. Yep, right. Okay. So I, uh, yeah, it, the place was getting broken into. Uh, it was getting me a real problem. My insurance canceled me. I realized that I just had to, you know, I was really fed up with working a, a retail storefront situation. Did you sell it to somebody else or just close it? No, it was actually one of my... Uh, one of my competitors bought the building and put his license in my in my two employees at that time stayed on with him. And another story I've told uh, was a, exactly a year later, I thought I'd made a mistake because uh, I'd walked away from that place and burned that bridge. And I think in, in the scheme of your life, it's necessary to burn bridges now and then so that you cannot go back. You can only go yeah. in one direction. You get out of your comfort zone so right. you can grow. Exactly. So uh, I got a call. Uh, it was a June, I closed on it, and exact, exactly a year later in June, I was somewhere shooting a local league, and I got a call on my phone from the police asking me to come down and identify the bodies of the two guys that worked there because they were both shot and killed execution in an armed robbery, you know, execution style. Okay. And I, then I realized, I was really thinking I had made a mistake from, you know, because it, it was a job and a place to go right. you know, and some pseudo purpose of my life at the time. And uh, I realized, of course, I had made the right decision at that moment. Wow. Um, were you married then? Yep. Yep. I've been okay. uh, married since uh, 74. So yep. was your wife supportive of getting out of the industry or how did she feel about guns? You know, my wife has always been supportive of any craziness that I have come up with, you know, and I will, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Well, you made a, you made yep. a comment a while ago about being an adrenaline junkie. Oh yeah. So before we jump into further about <laughs> JP, give me just a quick outline of some of the adrenaline stuff you've done. <clears throat> you've done. Well, you remember I said I I was custom painting motorcycles. And of course, the reason why I custom painted motorcycles because I was a I was a, a throttle addict. <laughs> I was okay. into my. I mean, I was. I got my first bike uh, when I was 18 years old. Okay. And uh, credit to my mother because she hated the damn things. And, you know, but she know she knew how much I wanted to do it. Right. And she let me buy this motorcycle. And, and that was it. I, I just had to have uh, motorcycles. And, and I, I, I will not tell you some of the insanity that I did on motorcycles, you know. And I'm, I'm just lucky that I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Right. I was all there, you know, and that's the right. only reason why I'm still here today is because I was all in one piece anytime I was doing this. Uh, I was out there on these bikes and doing some of the crazy things I did. But, yep, that, that always stuck with me. I'm into scuba diving. Okay. I, I never really got into it. I couldn't, couldn't get myself to jump out of planes, you know, that sort of thing. But, right. uh, but a lot of other stuff. And, of course, when practical shooting came around, that just, that just fed that whole thing. So it took the and, speed uh, and it took the other, you know, yeah. up to another level altogether for, for being competitive. Yeah. So the whole practical, practical pistol thing. And then, of course, when I first got my first exposure to uh, three-gun competition, mm-hmm. I was hooked. <laughs> okay, so you were hooked. So, you got more into um, when when you talk about the practical pistol. Now, that, was this one? Were you shooting USPSA bowling bull, pins, bull, bull. transitioning into a USPSA type shooting? Okay, all right, and uh, and then eventually, like I said, I started to shoot uh, three gun competition, and <clears throat> I, I started to build up quite a customer base. It was kind of interesting because I I got to be pretty close with a bunch of people down in Louisiana. Okay. They were some of my earliest customers, and they were shooting the Soldier of Fortune World Championship, which uh, was the longest-running three-gun event, ran for 29 consecutive years. It was running long before I ever did it, but anyway, they started telling me about it. It says, you got to shoot SOF. And so finally, when I got out of the retail store, and it's interesting, I, I signed up to shoot my first SOF. I did not own a personal AR-15. So there was somebody like myself doing demo days with guns when they went <laughs> I, around. <laughs> I, bar- I built I built one for a friend of mine. Okay. And I borrowed that rifle to shoot my first SOF. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> but when I went out there and shot that event, yeah, that really, really hooked. And also the fact that it was the technical complexity of the management of three weapon systems, all the supporting gear, all the ammunition, and, and of course, the long-range shooting and the data and all of this. I mean, uh, it was quite – and that appealed to me, too, because I was kind of into technical things, per se. You know, and so right. I got immersed in all of that. And, and, I, and of course, uh, 
about that time, uh, some people started to run because there was always too much demand for that match. wasn't enough slots to fit the people that you really wanted to play that game. And mm-hmm. so other games started up. Uh, other other versions of three gun let's let's say put started up. What year was that when your three gun started? So I can kind of put a timeline with everything for people that are listening. Man, I'm trying to think of when I shot that first one. It was uh, it was early '90s. Okay, yeah, early '90s. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was shortly after I started JP. Actually, you know, okay, because uh, I wasn't when I when I first started it. See, it was not like about AR-15s. It was about uh, accessories for 1911s, right. and various pistols, and then of course my very first product was the recoil eliminator, the rifle muzzle brake. That you know. Well, let's talk about that for a second because we just led into that. You you did all this stuff. You went. To, you did this. You went. You started your own gun company. Then all of a sudden, or no, you ran a gun company, and then all of a sudden you said, "I'm going to start my own business, making and engineering and." All I Designing. knew, all I knew, is I wanted to cater to other competitive shooters. <clears throat> okay, I thought I had an understanding of of what that entailed and what those kind of people were after in terms of improving the performance of their equipment and whatnot. And of course, it was it was something. I, also, I realized I could no longer deal with a local market. I had to deal with a, a na- at least a national mail order market. That was another goal of mine. Right. So, <clears throat> long about time I got out of the retail end of it. <clears throat> there was only three shooting schools back then, right? And that was the Chapman Academy, uh, which was run by Ray Chapman, and uh, the uh, Gun Site, which was, uh, of course, Colonel Jeff Cooper. Yes, Cooper. And then uh, Masad Ayub had something called LFI, Lethal Force Institute, and he ran a, a school, that a traveling school, right? And so the year that, 1990, was the year that I left the, the uh, retail store, I, uh, all I knew I was going to be in the firearms industry. I didn't know exactly how. Okay, so you, you knew See, you weren't leaving the industry. No, when I, you, gonna, okay. I, I just had to figure out, and I told my wife, says, I got to figure out where I'm going to fit into this. And uh, I packed up this ratty old Buick station wagon, and I was gone for a whole month, literally sleeping in the back of this damn station wagon, and I went to all three of these schools. <laughs> Really? <laughs> so that was kind of a pilgrimage seat that <laughs> went around the country going to these play, these schools. And uh, Did your wife travel with you at that time? Oh, no. She had to work to support my lazy ass. Oh, you know? so, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and so, I, and I mean, I, the, the guilt on that, because, you know, I, I was born and raised a Catholic and my mother was Italian. And what do they, what do they say about Italians, Italian mothers and Jewish mothers? Uh, uh, Jewish mothers invented guilt and Catholic mothers perfected it. <laughs> Very nicely said. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that guilt was mounting. All right. right, right. And, uh, but she let me, that's what I'm saying. She's a, a saint. She, she, let me let awesome. me do this, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, and I tell you, in the course of that month, uh, the idea solidified in my head as to really where I was probably going with this. Okay, you know, and that, and that kind of brings me, I guess, to this whole thing with the with the PCC because I I brought along this little toy. I bought this. Feather Industries, AT9, 30 years ago. This is something I've never seen before, and there'll there'll be a picture up up on the – there'll be a picture out there for people to see what this looks like. So So. when I went to the Chapman Academy, I became uh, pretty good friends with Ray Chapman because we were kind of on the same page. He he was an engineer by trade. Okay. And, uh, you know, he could see – I was a pretty proficient shooter, and and so uh, we got along quite well. And so at the the end of that – class which was general pistol you know he told me that he had a special weapons class coming up uh, in another a few weeks and he said I, this is for law enforcement only but i said if you want to come back and take that uh come back and do that so and i i had this feather industries at9 which is a nine millimeter pcc takedown you can see the barrels uh-huh. you know packs up in this little case here takes an uzi modified magazine is this the original um no, okay, because that looked familiar, and because I've seen yeah, that, I've seen that comp before. Right, much later on, it's all we got to put a recoil limiter on this nine millimeter. <laughs> got it. I understand? So, understand? There it is. That you just know, drew they, my attention. I was like, going, I've seen that. But that's that's that, that's thirty years ago. Well, yeah, for a while there, we were putting them on everything. Yeah, I get it. I get <laughs> we, it. We were putting them on rimfire rifles. <laughs> exactly. We made a special miniaturized version of it. Really, that's wonderful. <laughs> but anyway. That's uh, 
that that's where that whole idea of the of the PCC is, it, those a spark then right. I thought yeah these things are kind of fun to shoot and of course in the cor- in the part in, as far as taking that course uh, we were uh, allowed to shoot both a Colt nine millimeter sub gun and of course he had an MP five mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it was this stark contrast between those two platforms which stuck with me from then on you know the the Colt uh, full auto I mean you you could not possibly put more than three rounds on a full-size Ipsic target at 10 yards was off the shoulder of the target, you know, mm-hmm. climbed right up. Whereas the uh, MP5, uh, even though ergonomically I didn't care for it too much, by God, you could dump a magazine into a pie plate. You right. Know? And so it was very, very controllable due to its low reciprocating mass. And, and that all of that stuff stuck in my head to be pulled out much much later <laughs> when we started to go down this road in, in, in the sincerity. You know? Wow. That is wonderful. Well, now, from you were in a situation where you you said you designed things for listening to people that were in the shooting sports to help them out to get their process correct. Well, I was doing it, of course, you know, and I I was and I was pretty proficient. I was one of the top three gun shooters of that era. Oh, and uh, SOF had a you know top ten finish, which that was the world championship, and that was kind of the that was my early fifties. Not only was I in the top ten, I was I had high senior in one year, and uh, I felt pretty good about that because uh, it's interesting. The game back then actually favored older shooters because it was explain that. That's I've never heard that said before. (laughs) Back then, the top shooters were all like in their forties. Okay, I was in my early fifties, and the reason being, it was about people who had the discipline not to make mistakes under pressure, and the young guys couldn't do that. (laughs) Wow, they may have had athleticism over us, right? But see, the the, the SOF format, which quite honestly, I'm going to bore you with my philosophy on this, but I think it was more more correct and more related to real world performance and what you have to do with firearms, say in the real world, and that is to be able to make correct decisions and execute under pressure and not make mistakes, and sometimes that leads to not the fastest performance, but a more precise and and disciplined performance. Say. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, that, that's why it, it kind of favored guys who had, you know, some real experience under their belt. And so uh, it wasn't until Daniel Horner came on the scene that just, just completely upended all that. Right. <laughs> and that was, you know, at the Rocky Mountain three gun, which was the last SOF match was in 2003. Okay. And then of course, I wasn't willing to let that go. So then we, and we were sponsoring that all along, of course. And uh, we decided to uh, start up another three-gun match using veterans of SOF, like the the Millers and some of these guys. And so then we, uh, I said, yeah, you know, uh, you run this thing. I'll be the major sponsor. And we're going to continue to pick up this torch and carry it on. So then I think it was 15 years or so. Then we ran it at the Whittington, or at the Whittington Center there, the Rocky Mountain, which was an all-natural train match. It was, it was really a tremendous event. It, and you made, it, you made two comments I want to focus on. One, I want to know, when was the aha moment where you knew JP Enterprises was going to be bigger than you? When did, when did you figure that out as far as like this is? Oh, well, I know it exactly. Okay. And uh, my sons were both working for me. Us. My, my, I, after about, what the heck year was it? I think I was about <clears throat> seven years into it. And of course, I started it in my basement, right? Okay. And that got to be too much. It was like the three of us working in the basement. Uh, and then I bought a piece of property out here in, in Hugo, rural, rural Minnesota, and it had a pole barn. And then we worked out of that pole barn for nine years. And that's the time where it, it got out of hand. And my wife had a, was working for a, a contract furnishing company for 30-some years. And I said, you need, to, you need to quit that job and come in here and help me run this. I can't do it anymore because I was just the idea guy. I wow. sucked at the administration aspect of it. And that's where she really shined. So she came in. And then it was, uh, it was shortly after that. And I, I remember it so well because it was, it was uh, Christmas Eve and everybody had left for the day. And, uh, and Jesse and Matt, my two sons, were there. And it just hit me at that moment that, because I, I had always assumed that it, this whole thing was just a short-term venture. <laughs> they they assumed the same, that this was just a, a stopping off point to some other 
career. Mm-hmm. And it just hit me at that moment that the place transcended me. It, it had its own legs and it was going to continue on. And I brought him into the house and I said, look, uh, this could be a great career <laughs> for you guys. And, and here they are. So, yes. so it's, uh, <laughs> and, thank, and thank you so much for sharing that with me. Cause it's, it's funny hearing some of your discussions so far, and I'm seeing some parallels to what I've got myself into <laughs> that I had no clue was going to be as big as it was. And it's become, you know, and some people have told me that you're, you're going to have that moment where you're going to realize this is getting bigger than you. And you, you could be, are you ready to hold on? And I'm like going, I thought I was, I, I still think I am, but I'm, I'm, I'm growing as well and hiring new people to do different things for me. So I can, the relation of what you just said with your family, I, I get yep. that. That's so cool. So cool. Right. You know, of course, <clears throat> and in this country, you can still, you can still do that. And uh, the opportunity is there for those that are willing to really put the effort and put their heart into it. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, putting your heart into it. And that's what was going to lead me to my other question. You started sponsoring matches all over? All over. Right. You know, I did it for a year. I mean, I was on the road and I realized <laughs> that, uh, well, uh, I had to, and, you know, and it's interesting because my perspective of, I looked at myself as a professional shooter, but my job was not to win a match. Okay. My, my job there was to, build and promote the business and just be competent. I just feel like had to be competent first to it at a certain level to build relationships and, and, and to understand what the equipment had to do in the hands of a pro level shooter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't there to necessarily win a match. Okay. You know, cause that's a different focus altogether. And you got guys like uh, Barnhart and Latham and these guys at my area, you know, and that, uh, they, they had a, a, a totally different type of focus. I could see it in them with the match. And, and of course me, I had people coming up to be constantly asking me technical questions. I'd be ready to try to get ready to shoot the stage and they'd be asking me questions. Well, you, you know, and I was like, that's exactly what I was there for. You know, I wasn't right. complaining. Right. But, uh, uh, and I always wondered, you know, all of that. And this is before social media or, um, the, the, you know. So I said, does any of this doing me any good, you know? Uh, but, of course, it was. I couldn't I couldn't put a metric on it. Right. <laughs> but it obviously, it obviously did. So in your situation, you don't think you were, you would be at where you were today if you weren't actually attending matches and oh, being a part of it? No, that was essential. Right. Having my mug out there and people realizing that, yeah, my ideas did work. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Which leads us back into more getting more current. Because I thought something funny when you said a while ago that I hated the AR I did. Know, platform. I love when I you said dis- that. I was disgusted. <laughs> but but I'm in your comments room and I'm looking at AR platforms everywhere. <laughs> you know what? And then the whole, because always, I've always had an artistic and aesthetic bend, you know? Right. And so, of course, consequently, I, you know, I, I love custom painting motorcycles, other than the fumes. But <laughs> did you know, um, did you ever met Kurt Grimes before? No. Okay. I I, I, he does some custom. I only just a quick reference there, just and, and to see if that was a, a another angle of people you knew. But, you know, painting, you, 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 you know, did that come to the ARs back in, well, in the day? Well, or or was it wasn't more? that. It was more, what I'm going with this is that because I, and this is the reason why I loved beautiful revolvers and <clears throat> 1911s and all of this stuff that all this cosmetic aesthetics that went into traditional firearms, the engraving, the finishing. And of course, here he had a totally utilitarian platform. And I said, Doc, got it. Uh, I think we can make this look nice too, you know. So then okay. it was then it was all about making art that shoots, and so then we went down that road. Of, it wasn't just only about the performance of it, but really the aesthetics of it, and we tried to take that uh, both both things to the to the max. How was that embraced when they when people started seeing something different? They thought we were nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah they, yeah, they thought we were a little a little crazy, and I never get because the. Uh, yeah, it was the see? I, I don't know if you know, but but SOF was not only the match, but it was a uh, a big uh, convention. The Soldier Fortune Convention was it was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, and so I brought one of my employees along, and he worked the convention while I was shooting the match. And of course, when I had time off, then I was working the convention with him. And we quickly realized, you know, kind of dovetails into what you're talking about. We quickly realized that. The people that were at the convention, they looked at the ideas that we were coming up with, and the recoil eliminator, adjustable gas systems, et cetera, all these. They thought, 
what, why are you doing this? Is they, they were just couldn't wrap their heads around it, you know, mm -hmm. and they'd walk away from the booth, like scratching their heads. But we realized that all of our customers, the people who understood what we were bringing to the table, they were at the match. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so so nice. he says, yeah, this is right now. That was our core market. Okay. And then eventually, of course, when people started realizing that the people that were winning these matches were all shooting JP equipment, you know, then we're just like Formula One or any kind of racing, you know, a sport. Well, then the average guy, even if he's not going to race, he wants a GT500, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly <laughs> so. right. That See, that's wonderful because I, this, I'm taken back because we never, we never had a conversation before till today. And to hear your story you know, I didn't know the shooting sports even existed five years ago. And now I feel, um, I hope I, I feel I'm a part of it now with what I'm doing and meeting so many wonderful people. And, um, just to hear your story and have so many things like I'm having my own aha moments right now. So thank you for that. Cause it gives me the motivation to continue to do what I'm doing to, to proceed. You're, um, a lot of innovations you've brought to the, you know, firearms industry and, now, one thing I'm extremely lucky and fortunate to be traveling with all the matches I go to is the new um, JP5 that is getting ready to release um, if everything goes as planned and um, later this year. Um, tell me where, you know, you know, we, you engineered a lot of ARs. You had your platforms there, but and you saw different things and you, you brought up the MP5 earlier. What really gave you the motivation to say this is next? Well, first, let me be clear that I'm not an engineer. Okay. I'm a garage mechanic, you know, and of course, I was a gunsmith for 13 years. I, I did that end of it at, when I had the retail store. Okay. But, and my youngest son is the head engineer here. Okay. And so, uh, uh, I I think we have kind of an interesting interplay there because because I'm, I'm, I was never schooled formally in engineering, I don't. I'm not restrained by the dogma of that box. <laughs> I, I, I've, I know what you're talking about. Yes, and, sir. And a lot of the stuff that I think that I came up with over the years was the fact that I was not restrained by that thinking, but yet you need that. You need, you need to have that. To, if you're going to put make chips and turn metal into parts and whatnot, obviously you have to have the technical expertise of that side of it. So it was really kind of a, that interplay into my more free thinking, I guess, and uh, the engineering side of it, and of course, when Matt came on, uh, in fact, he's certainly more responsible, you know, for the for the JP five than, than anybody. Wonderful. But going back to this feather industries AT nine, like right. I said, many many years later, when we were when we were firmly involved in in race gun AR fifteens, and you know, and also we were tactical AR type, AR type rifles, we. Uh, at, at about that time, I, I can't remember exactly when this was, but uh, there was some other PCCs that started to just creep in. And Rock River was starting to offer a 9mm AR-type platform. And I uh, I said to uh, my uh, my oldest employee, Dave Kamek, who was, you know, was with me from, from the beginning, I said, well, let's buy a couple of these uppers and, you know, put our handguards, fix them up, you know, kind of JPIs them. Yes, sir. And so we did that. And I thought, uh, I think they'll be fun to shoot. And, 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 and they were. They were fun to shoot. And so about that time, the guys who uh, ran, uh, they ran Magpul Dynamics. They called me up and they wanted me. They, these guys were running their classes. To, you know, remember my friends from Louisiana. They, yes, sir. They own a range not too far from their house, uh, just on the north side of uh, Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, mm -hmm. And these guys wanted to run their classes out of their range because they had a traveling school also. And they called me up and they wanted me to, uh, they offered to, you know, have me take the class for nothing. It was uh, dynamic carbine, their advanced carbine class. I said, sounds great. So I came down there and and I brought this nine millimeter upper that we had built. And so uh, in the in the course of the classes, I, uh, I decided to shoot this thing. And that's when it just kind of blew me away as to how effective this thing was. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had... You know, various exercises we were shooting with targets all past 100 yards, and I was just whacking these things with this 9-millimeter carbine, and I said, boy, this has got some real real potential here. And that was before, of course, it was a USPSA division. That's right. So when we when I came back, you know, then uh, Dave and I got to uh, uh, doing what we do, and that's picking the nits. 
And so we thought, well, the one thing was we just didn't like the impulse feel of this thing being a blowback platform that it was. We started to experiment with what we could experiment with at the time, and that was primarily spring rates. And so we came up with a a combination of uh, spring rate and buffer mass that really tamed the thing down quite a bit. And then the thing was just a hammer, you know, and it really started to perform. And that's about the time we started. Then we said, well, let's just order a half a dozen of these things at a time and start offering them. Right. And it started to take off little by little. And then shortly after that, kind of people started to shoot them for no score, just for fun at some USPSA events. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Foley uh, saw this and, and uh, he was kind of instrumental in this division coming about. When that division came about, oh. we, we were already there because we had already, like I said, picked the nits and made these things work mm -hmm. and refined them a bit. And then it just evolved into the GMR platform. The Because these things, were, of course, at that time were taking uh, modified Uzi mags, of course, in a mm -hmm. magazine block that fit into a standard AR lower. And we knew that we had to go the direction of a cross compatibility with some pistol. The Glock was the obvious choice. So then we came up with the... Uh, the first GMR stands for Glock magazine receiver. Got it. <laughs> we're, we're, we may be innovative about the products, but we're not too innovative <laughs> about the names. Going to keep it simple. <laughs> so that that's where we started the GMR platform, you know, with, using the Glock magazine. And then as we got into it, we realized there was a number a number of other uh, engineering assumptions which were not really correct about blowback nines. And we sorted all that out, and, and we really had a high degree of reliability. And, and we dominated the USPSA uh, PCC division because uh, we had the gun that actually worked. That ran. And I'm telling you what, when you're shooting pl practical pistol, having a gun that works is probably 50% of it. That's correct. <laughs> right there, you know, mm -hmm. it, was just, it was like when I first started USPSA, if you had a 19, because everybody was shooting 1911s, 45 autos, that was about the only gun out there that people were shooting. Mm -hmm. If you showed up with a match with a gun that actually worked, you were probably going to finish in like the top three. Right. Because <laughs> let me clue you, back then, most of them did not, they were not 100%. They all had their their issues. Wow. You know, and, and as, a, as a sidebar, there's nothing more responsible than, in my opinion, than you, the USPSA format in uh, debugging 19 millimeter or 1911s and coming up with uh, uh, the evolution of pistols that were at a whole nother level of reliability because right. now people actually expected this stuff to work. Whereas prior to that, people were willing to put up with just about anything. Right. <laughs> when you were first shooting USPSA and you said it was mainly 1911s and stuff like that, and were you, you were there when other types of Guns started coming into the to play, correct? Yes. Yeah, so right. the reason I'm asking that question: How'd that make you feel when you were shooting certain types of weapons, and all of a sudden you see new types of weapons come in that you weren't familiar with? You know, it was a process of evolution, and of course, you had people shooting single stack 1911s, 45 ACP, and uh, all of a sudden the question was, well, what if we had more capacity? And so then. The experiment that I think most people tried, myself included, you take the Browning High Power, which had been around forever, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden Browning High Power started to show up in the match, and I tuned one up for myself, and uh, I realized that the minor, the, the major minor power factor discrepancy did not quite wash out with the extra capacity, and I was still able to shoot better hit factors with a single stack 1911. Wow. See, and then of course you had the open, the evolution of the open gun. You had 38 super mm -hmm. and uh, iron sight 38 supers. And, uh, and those were problematic at first because originally the power factor was up there at 175 and people were blowing the things up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then of course uh, that evolved into say the fun, the first wide body pistols, the Caspian and the, 2011s mm -hmm. and that really that's when really things you know took off to in that in that direction were all your friends excited about the changes that were new guns were coming in or was it kind of a like you said an evolution people just had to deal with it what, what did that look like with all the shooters you knew back in the day that when when they saw the changes coming in would say were they excited were they apprehensive some people you know if you if if that was your mentality of uh if you were kind of into the equipment, then I would say, yeah, you were kind of excited about it. But the mm -hmm. guys that just, 
you know, had a good had a good 1911 or out there to shoot it. The I think, I, I think they were a little a little disappointed. In fact, uh, at one point it got to be contentious mm-hmm. because you had the traditionalists that wanted to shoot single stack 1911s. And now <clears throat> with the evolution of high cap guns and and the, and the lack of divisions, well now they were no longer competitive. And so, how do you think IDPA, IDPA formed? Right. Because those guys wanted a, a venue in which that pistol was still competitive. And then, you know, to uh, to their chagrin, I think USPSA finally realized that they had to create that competitiveness. And so, they came up with their own single stack division mm-hmm. and, and reestablished that, you know, that playing field where this is what you want to shoot and this is your idea of what this game is. Mm-hmm. Have at it. Now you're competitive in that in that division. And, and the reason I asked that question, because we're going through the evolution now where PCC is one of the top growing divisions in the United States Practical Shooting Association. And there's a lot of traditionalists that aren't happy that people are bringing a rifle match to what they consider a pistol match. So we're going through the same, you know, naysayers yep. but we're also getting so many more adapters and bringing more people into the sport so yeah. reason that that's the reason i asked that question because what you brought to the table with your help of your technology and your background and everything else what you saw is changed the sport totally and, and there's you know i don't know if anybody's like oh, i don't like john paul because of that but you know they blame other people at uspsa no. but how do you feel about that well, I'm ambivalent, uh, you know, because uh, one of my uh, really close friends and a sponsored shooter over the years, Kelly Neal, he felt exactly this way because he is an outstanding pistol shooter. Okay. And the thing is about a good PCC, let's face it, they're kind of idiot proof. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can, you can take someone that's got a very low skill level. Right. In a very short time, they're out there hitting targets and, and they're... And they're getting pretty cocky about it. Yeah. <laughs> and really, if you put an iron sight traditional pistol in their hands, mm-hmm. uh, they'd be hurting. Right. See, so there is that. I mean, and so the guys who have put the years in to develop this skill set of shooting, uh, in my opinion, in particular, the iron sight pistol, mm-hmm. which is an order of magnitude more difficult than shooting an optical pistol, and certainly more difficult than you know shooting any kind of a carbine you know pistol caliber carbine mm-hmm. well yeah it kind of diminishes that and now you see these guys out there with pccs that are just burning these courses down but and i think there was some animosity at first but now i think people have kind of been able to come to grips with yeah okay well that's their division uh, you know i uh, it's not going to make me feel bad because i'm i'm out there shooting a uh, a production gun right you know? shooting production division you know this is uh, this is real world, or they're looking at it as you know, this is a gun I carry, etc. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different mentality. But as you said, the important thing is it brought in another whole group of people, you know. And this brings me back <laughs> to the very last SOF in 2003. Okay, I'm, I, I at this point I was shooting with, with this team, which was composed of uh, Tommy Wong, Joe Wong, and Ricky Menino. And I, the SOF you could you shot it individually. But you also shot a team event, and your squad was made up of your team plus one. Okay. And so our squad was uh, immediately ahead of the. Uh, I'm just going to mention it's a, it was a particular <laughs> of the SOF that year, okay. and they fielded a team, and so they were immediately following us up behind us at every stage, and every stage we'd get an argument. Because they shot, they saw the JP rifles. They were we were shooting SV pistols and stuff, and mm-hmm. and uh, they were oh game. You got guys got gamer gear. This isn't real. And then they were upset that we were shooting beyond fifty yards because we were shooting out to whatever four or five hundred yards with the rifles. This was well, this isn't a tactical match. You wouldn't you shouldn't have shooting beyond fifty yards. Wait, wait a minute. I said, wait a minute. Uh, what did you understand about the title? World Championship Tactical Three Gun Match. Now, do you think at the World Championship Match that we're not going to be shooting beyond fifty yards with our rifles? Mm-hmm. And so we had this constant argument was going wow. on. And at one point, one of them pointed at our pistols and said that they were uh, gamer pistols. And at that point, Tommy Wong just started walking towards him, huh. and I, I just grabbed him by the shoulder and I pulled him back. 
because I knew he was going to pound somebody. Oh, my gosh. There's <laughs> one thing. If Eddie Rhodes made that comment to us, because mm-hmm. we knew he would have done it, you know, uh, it was at a term of endearment. But right. with these guys, you know, and I, I, I don't mean to be politically incorrect no, here, but this is what was it, said. No, that is, it's, it's, it's a time right. frame. That's fine. And, and then, of course, this conversation went on, and I said, you know what? The reason why we're out here doing this is because because uh, I'm a staunch Second Amendment supporter, obviously. And I said, the future of the Second Amendment in this country is competitive shooting and recreational shooting. And then they said, and these guys were just like, oh, no. And I said, Are you kidding me? They said, the more people that you get out here playing these games, people, for example, that are coming that are not gun people, that haven't brought up, that have not been steeped in this culture for their whole stinking life, you want those people to come in all real, all of a sudden realize that there's a legitimate reason to own this thing, and whether I'm defending myself or I'm out here competing with it, this is the reason why we have civilian ownership of firearms. And then eventually, the real reason why we have is going to that light's going to go on in their head, as it has in the last year. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, sir. Some people have finally realized. I don't care what kind of side of the political fence you on. They're starting to realize why we own firearms yep. and why we have the Second Amendment more now than ever. Don't even get me started. No, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I saw the passion in your eyes change, right. and that's so. that the Second Amendment is, is is. I tell people all the time. I sponsor a lot of junior shooters, and you never know how long they're going to shoot. You experience yeah. that yourself with sponsorships. But my thing is is. If they never shoot again, at least we may have their vote. Well, and this was the, our biggest point of contention, that they just didn't understand that these games were really the, the strongest tool we had to convert people who were not necessarily on the same page with us. Right. And so, yeah, well, that's just a, another segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was an amazing story to hear the evolution of that, how it changed and how you experienced it and now how people are handling that today. And because I think some of the biggest pushbacks, you know, I've had some conversations lately is, is match directors feel they have to change some of the stages based on PCC and the rules to make sure, you know, it's legal and stuff like that to make sure we're doing certain things. And that's some of the frustration there, but um, the evolution is not going to stop. Um, companies like yourself um, are, are, are coming up. There's more competition in PCC now than there was five years ago. Every, everything has changed in, in that side of the market. And, you know, with your JP5 that's coming out, um, it's a game changer. It is. You know, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Because the, when I first got a chance to shoot one of the prototypes, I quite honestly wasn't all that impressed with it, but I didn't put too many runs through it. I think, okay. you know, I, but then when we had the first run of the what I we call the we always do a pre-production run, we and I got to shoot the pre-production guns, and I actually brought one to a match, and I and, and then it was uh, it was really a, a watershed moment, and I realized that the advantage of this thing over the blowback design was just inescapable. There's. A lot of people looking forward to PCC Nationals is going to happen pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about coming to um, Alabama to watch the JP5 in its first Nationals <laughs> events? Have you have you thought? Have you considered that? I probably should. Yeah. Okay. Is, yeah. Just one of those things. I'm you know, too old to be competitive, but no, I still I, have no, fun doing it. it. <laughs> but being there, and you know, you know, the world champions that are using your rifle personally because it's brand new; it's not even released yet. But it's actually some people are going to be using it. Right. In the very first, you know, nationals like that. You know, and as, what I was talking about just a, a moment ago about the fact that it makes uh, novice shooters quite competent. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't, I don't say that, say, to diminish the skill set of the highest shooters. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the highest level shooters with these things are, they're again, like anything. They uh, just really have achieved unbelievable levels of, of performance. Oh, I was with know. Josh yesterday right. yeah. shooting PCC at the Wisconsin Section Championship, and he that was a very technical match, and he handled it extremely well with the JP5 compared to other PCCs I saw out there. So no, it's it's a you yeah. know do you, do you still take pride when you see something just pops out there and it's a game changer like this? Is it just does it reset your um, energy level? Oh, yeah, it, it does. And uh, I guess, if anything, it gives me uh, uh, a tremendous pride in in the company and the the, the, the team of, of what it is. You know, all these people coming together. Mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, it just, like I said, I'm not that involved in it at this point. Right. Although I, I still have some input, you know, on the engineering side and, and I love doing this kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's, that's primarily my involvement in it now. Well, but yeah, I, I take a tremendous amount of pride when I see not, not only like a game changing thing like this, the JP five coming out, but, mm -hmm. but the continual refinement and evolution of everything we do. Cause that we're just, we're never resting, you know, it's just, we're, we're, we're still looking at products we came up with years ago and uh, further picking the nits and refi refining, or maybe coming up with a new version, new application of that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's so wonderful. So what's next for you? What, what's your, what, what's your next goals that you have? Where are you, where are you at in your career in the firearms industry. I know you're not, well, you know, you're not, you're not you know, getting out. You're, see, you're stepping back a little bit, but what's next? My security clearance has been revoked here. These, see, cause I like, I like to blab about new products or new projects. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I, I kind of have to watch what I talk about now. Okay. But suffice it to say that we got some pretty th exciting things that are, uh, uh, coming to the front. Like now that we've got the JP five, kind of uh, squared away here mm -hmm. we've got other things that are being pulled to the front burners that's awesome and i'm very excited about that nice so there's other game changes around yep. the corner right that's that's what I, that's wonderful did we leave off anything you want to discuss <laughs> i mean uh, thank you so much for taking the time out today um to just tell me the history a little bit and tell me more and let me feel that passion sitting right oh. across from you about the second amendment and how important it is to bring more people to the sport because that was um uh, I, I took it as you were talking to me, like it was talking back in that day. And I, I, I that passion right. was very much felt and I, I love it. Well, that's, uh, I, I've been lucky to do something over the years uh, that I've loved. Right. You know? That's wonderful. Well, if there's nothing else, thank you, John Paul, for taking the time out again. And, um, I just wonderful facility here with everything you got going on. And I'm just excited to be a part of that process with um, traveling around with your um, branded products that you have um, had your eye on for a while and it finally came to um, intuition and here it is it's, it's, it's here and people are able to shoot that before it gets released and place the um, orders to get that in so it's yeah we're so grateful thing. that you showed up and took I took this time out of your schedule and your uh uh, your road trips, you know, well, I, I know what that's like. You're, you're at the, you're at a stage that I was at exactly at your age. <laughs> well, I will tell you personally that you have just yeah. motivated me to continue to impress on even harder than I am right now. Great. And people listening that know me, how's that possible? But I'm going to find ways to be even more aggressive just as you were in the day to make the changes happen. So well, I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. Well, this is Ben Brian Conley from Hunter's HD Go Behind the Lens. And until next time, we'll see you at the range soon.